Chapter Seven, Part Two, of an Essay on the Trial by Jury. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bethann. Trial by Jury by Lysander Spooner. Chapter Seven, Part Two. Illegal Judges. Note. The opinions and decisions of judges and courts are undeserving of the least reliance, beyond the intrinsic merit of the arguments offered to sustain them, and are unworthy even to be quoted as evidence of the law, when those opinions or decisions are favorable to the power of the government, or unfavorable to the liberties of the people. The only reason that their opinions, when in favor of liberty, are entitled to any confidence, are, first, that all presumptions of law are in favor of liberty, and, second, that the admissions of all men, the innocent and criminal alike, when made against their own interest, are entitled to be received as true, because it is contrary to human nature for a man to confess anything but truth against himself. More solemn farces or more gross impostures were never practiced upon mankind, then are all, or very nearly all, these auricular responses by which courts assume to determine that certain statutes, in restraint of individual liberty, are within the constitutional power of the government, and are therefore valid and binding upon the people. The reason why these courts are so intensely servile and corrupt is, that they are not only parts of, but the veriest creatures of, the very governments whose oppressions they are thus seeking to uphold. They receive their offices and salaries from, and are impeachable and removable by, the very governments upon whose acts they affect to sit in judgment. Of course, no one with his eyes open ever places himself in a position so incompatible with the liberty of declaring his honest opinion, unless he do it with the intention of becoming a mere instrument in the hands of the government for the execution of all its oppressions. As proof of this, look at the judicial history of England for the last five hundred years, and of America from its settlement. In all that time, so far as I know, or presume, no bench of judges, probably not even any single judge, dependent upon the legislature that passed the statute, has ever declared a single penal statute invalid, on account of its being in conflict either with the common law, which the judges in England have been sworn to preserve, or the written constitutions, recognizing men's natural rights, which the American judges were under oath to maintain. Every oppression, every atrocity even, that has ever been enacted in either country, by the legislative power in the shape of a criminal law, or indeed in almost any other shape, has been as sure of a sanction from the judiciary that was dependent upon, and impeachable by, the legislature that enacted the law, as if there were a physical necessity that the legislative enactment and the judicial sanction should go together. Practically speaking, the sum of their decisions, all and singular, has been, that there are no limits to the power of the government, and that the people have no rights except what the government pleases to allow to them. It is extreme folly for a people to allow such dependent, servile, and perjured creatures to sit either in civil or criminal trials, 
but to allow them to sit in criminal trials, and judge of the people's liberty, is not merely fatuity, it is suicide. End footnote. I give in the note additional and abundant authorities for the meaning ascribed to the word bailiff. The importance of the principle involved will be a sufficient excuse for such an accumulation of authorities as would otherwise be tedious and perhaps unnecessary. Note. Coke, speaking of the word bailiffs, as used in the statute of one Westminster, chapter 35, 1275, says, Here bailiffs are taken for the judges of the court, as manifestly appears hereby. Second Institutes 229. Coke also says, It is a maxim in law, Aliquis non debiat esse judix in propria causa. No one ought to be judge in his own cause. And therefore a fine levied before the bailiffs of Shropshire was reversed, because one of the bailiffs was party to the fine. Qui non potest esse judex et pars. Because one cannot be judge and party. First Institutes. 141a. In the Statute of Gloucester, chapter 11 and 12, 1278, the mayor and bailiffs of London, undoubtedly chosen by the people, or at any rate not appointed by the king, are manifestly spoken of as judges, or magistrates, holding jury trials as follows. Chapter 2. It is provided also that if any man lease his tenement in the city of London for a term of years, and he to whom the freehold belongeth causeth himself to be impleted by collusion, and maketh default after default, or cometh into court and giveth it up, for to make the termer, leasee, lose his term, lease, and the demandant hath his suit, so that the termer may recover by writ of covenant, the mayor and bailiff may inquire by a good inquest, jury, in the presence of the termer and the demandant, whether the demandant moved his plea upon good right that he had, or by collusion, or fraud, to make the termer lose his term, and if it be found by the inquest, jury, that the demandant moved his plea upon good right that he had, the judgment shall be given forthwith, and if it be found by the inquest, jury, that he hath impleaded himself by fraud, to put the termer from his term, then shall the termer enjoy his term and the execution of judgment for the demandant shall be suspended until the term be expired. 6 Edward I, Chapter 11, 1278 Coke, in his commentary on this chapter, calls this court of the mayor and bailiffs of London the court of the Hustings, the greatest and highest court in London, and adds, Other cities have the like court and so called as York, London, Winchester, etc. Here the city of London is named, but it appeareth by that which hath been said out of Philita, that this act extends to such cities and boroughs privileged, that is, such as have such privilege to hold pleas as London hath. Second Institutes 3.22. The twelfth chapter of the same statute is in the following words, which plainly recognize the fact the mayor and bailiffs of London are judicial officers holding courts in London. It is provided, also, that if a man impleaded for a tenement in the same city, London, doth vouch a foreigner to warranty, 
that he shall come into the chancery, and have a writ to summon his warranter to a certain day before the justice of the bench, and another writ to the mayor and bailiffs of London, that they shall surcease, suspend proceedings, in the matter that is before them by writ, until the plea by the warranty be determined before the justices of the bench, and when the plea at the bench shall be determined, then shall he that is vouched be commanded to go into the city, that is, before the mayor and bailiff's court, to answer unto the chief plea, and a writ shall be awarded at the suit of the demanded by the justices unto the mayor and bailiffs, that they shall proceed in the plea, etc. 6 Edward I, chapter 12, 1278. Coke, in his commentary on this chapter, also speaks repeatedly of the mayor and bailiffs as judges holding courts, and also speaks of this chapter as applicable not only to the cities of London, specially named for the cause aforesaid, but extended by equity to all other privileged places, that is, privileged to have a court of mayor and bailiffs, where a foreign voucher is made, as at Chester, Durham, Shropshire, etc., Second Institutes 325-7. to Bailey, in Scotch law, a municipal magistrate corresponding with the English alderman, note, alderman was a title anciently given to various judicial officers, as the alderman of all England, alderman of the king, alderman of the county, alderman of the city or borough, alderman of the hundred or wapentake, these were all judicial officers. See law dictionaries. End note within note. Burroughs Law Dictionary. Bailiffy. Bailiff. French. A bailiff. Ministerial officer with duties similar to those of a sheriff. The judge of a court. A municipal magistrate, etc. Burroughs Law Dictionary. Bailiff. The word bailiff is of Norman origin, and was applied in England at an early period, after the example it is said of the French, to the chief magistrates of counties or shires, such as the alderman, the reeve, or sheriff, and also of inferior jurisdictions, such as hundreds and wapentakes. Spillman, Vocabulary, Balivus. First Blackstone's Commentaries, 344. See Bali Balivus. The Latin Balivus occurs, indeed, in the laws of Edward the Confessor, but Spillman thinks it was introduced by a latter hand. Baliva, bailiwick, was the word formed from Balivus to denote the extent of territory comprised within a bailiff's jurisdiction, and bailiwick is still retained in writs and other proceedings as the name of a sheriff's county. First Blackstone's Commentaries. 344. See Balivu. The office of bailiff was at first strictly, though not exclusively, a judicial one. In France, the word had the sense of what Spillman calls justitia tutelarius. Balivus occurs frequently in the regium majestatum, in the sense of a judge, Spillman. In its sense of a deputy, it was formally applied in England to those officers who, by virtue of a deputation, either from the sheriff or the lords of private jurisdictions, exercised within the hundred, or whatever might be the limits of their bailiwick, certain judicial and ministerial functions, 
with the disuse of private and local jurisdictions, the meaning of the term became commonly restricted to such persons as were deputed by the sheriff to assist him in the merely ministerial portion of his duty, such as the summoning of juries and the execution of writs. Brand. The word bailiff is also applied in England to the chief magistrates of certain towns and jurisdictions, to the keepers of castles, forests, and other places, and to the stewards or agents of lords of manors. Burroughs Law Dictionary. Bailiff. From the Latin, balivus, French, bailiff, i.e., praefectus provincia, signifies an officer appointed for the administration of justice within a certain district. The office, as well as the name, appears to have been derived from the French, etc. Brewster's Encyclopedia. Miller says, the French monarchs about this period were not content with the power of receiving appeals from the several courts of their barons. An expedient was devised of sending royal bailiffs into different parts of the kingdom, with a commission to take cognizance of all those causes in which the sovereign was interested, and in reality for the purpose of abridging and limiting the subordinate jurisdiction of the neighboring feudal superiors. By an edict of Philip Augustus in the year 1190, those bailiffs were appointed in all the principal towns of the kingdom. Miller's Historical View of the English Government, Volume 2, Chapter 3, page 126. Bailiff Office Magistrates who formerly administered justice in the parliaments or courts of France, answering to the English sheriffs, as mentioned by Bracton. Boisvert's Law Dictionary there be several officers called bailiffs, whose offices and employments seem quite different from each other. The chief magistrate in diverse ancient corporations are called bailiffs, as in Ipswich, Yarmouth, Clawchester, etc. There are, likewise, officers of the forest, who are termed bailiffs. First Bracton's Abridgment, 498-9 to Bailiff signifies a keeper or superintendent, and is directly derived from the French word bailey, which appears to come from the word balivus, and that from bogalus, a Latin word signifying generally a governor, tutor, or superintendent. The French word bailey is thus explained by Richelet, dictionary, etc. Bailey. He who in a province has the superintendence of justice, who is the ordinary judge of the nobles, who is their head for the ban, and aria ban, and who maintains the right and property of others against those who attack them, all the various officers who are called by this name, though differing as to the nature of their employments, seem to have some kind of superintendence entrusted to them by their superior. Political Dictionary Note Bon and aria bon, a proclamation whereby all that hold lands of the crown, except some privileged officers and citizens, are summoned to meet at a certain place in order to serve the king in his wars, either personal or by proxy. Boyer. End footnote. Bailiff, balivus. From the French word bailiff, that is, praefectus provincia. And as the name, so the office itself was answerable to that of France, where there were eight parliaments, which were high courts from whence there lay no appeal, 
and within the precincts of the several parts of that kingdom, which belonged to each parliament, there were several provinces to which justice was administered by certain officers called bailiffs. And in England we have several counties in which justice hath been, and still is, in small suits, administered to the inhabitants by the officer whom we now call sheriff, or viscount, one of which names descends from the Saxons, the other from the Normans. And though the sheriff is not called bailiff, yet it was probable that one of his names also, because the county is often called baliva, as in the return of a writ, where the person is not arrested, the sheriff saith, Infranominatus, a, b, non est inventus in baliva mea, etc. The within named a, b is not found in my bailiwick, etc. And in the statute of Magna Carta, chapter 28 and 14, edict 3, chapter 9, the word bailiff seems to comprise as well sheriffs as bailiffs of hundreds. Baileys, in Scotland, are magistrates of boroughs possessed of certain jurisdictions, having the same power within their territory of sheriffs in the county. As England is divided into counties, so every county is divided into hundreds, within which, in ancient times, the people had justice administered to them by the several officers, of which every hundred, which were the bailiffs, and it appears by Bracton, Lib. 3, Tract 2, Chapter 34, that bailiffs of hundreds might anciently hold plea of appeal and approvers, but since that time the hundred courts, except certain franchises, are swallowed in the county courts, and now the bailiff's name and office is grown into contempt, they being generally officers to serve writs, etc., within their liberties, though in other respects the name is still in good esteem, for the chief magistrates in diverse towns are called bailiffs, and sometimes the persons to whom the king's castles are committed are termed bailiffs, as the bailiff of Dover Castle, etc. Of the ordinary bailiffs there are several sorts, viz. bailiffs of liberties, sheriff's bailiffs, bailiffs of lords of manors, bailiffs of husbandry, etc., Bailiffs of liberties or franchises are to be sworn to take distresses, truly impanel jurors, make returns by indenture between them and sheriffs, etc. Bailiffs of courts baron, summon those courts and execute the process thereof. Besides these things, there are also bailiffs of the forest. Jacob's Law Dictionary, Tomlin's Ditto, Bailiwick, Bollywood, is not only taken for the county, but signifies generally that liberty which is exempted from the sheriff of the county, over which the lord of the liberty appointeth a bailiff, with such powers within his precinct as an under-sheriff exerciseth under the sheriff of the county, such as the bailiff of Westminster. Jacob's Law Dictionary, Tomlin's Ditto. A bailiff of Leet, court baron, manor, Balivus Lette, Baronis Manarii, he is one that is appointed by the lord, or his steward, within every manner, to do such offices as appertaineth thereunto, as to summon the court, warn the tenants and regents, also to summon the leet and homage, levy fines, and make distresses, etc., of which you may read at large in kitchen, court leet, and court baron. 
A Law Dictionary Anonymous. In Suffolk Law Library. Bailiff. In England, an officer appointed by the sheriff. Bailiffs are either special and appointed for their adroitness to arrest persons, or bailiffs of hundreds, who collect fines, summon juries, attend the assizes, and execute writs and processes. The sheriff in England is the king's bailiff. The office of bailiff formerly was high and honorable in England, and officers under that title on the continent are still invested with important functions. Webster. Bailey. Scotland. An alderman. A magistrate who is second in rank in a royal burgh. Worcester. Bailey or bailiff. Sort de officier de justice. A bailiff. A sort of magistrate. Boyer's French Dictionary. By some opinions, a bailiff, in Magna Carta, chapter 28, signifies any judge. Cunningham's Law Dictionary. Bailiff. In the court of the Greek emperors, there was a grand baulus, first tutor of the emperor's children. The superintendent of foreign merchants seems also to have been called baulus. And as he was appointed by the Ventinians, this title, balio, was transferred to the Ventinian ambassador. From Greece, the official baulus, balivus, bae in France, bailiff in England, was introduced into the south of Europe, and denoted a superintendent, hence the eight balivia of the Knights of St. John, which constitute its supreme council. In France, the royal bailiffs were commanders of the militia, administrators or stewards of the domains, and judge of their districts. In the course of time, only the first duty remained to the bailiff, hence he was bailli de pays and laws were administered in his name by a lawyer as his deputy, Lieutenant de Robe. The seigneuries, with which high courts were connected, employed bailiffs, who thus constituted almost everywhere the lowest order of judges. From the courts of the nobility, the appellation passed to the royal courts, from thence to the parliaments. In the greater bailiwicks of cities of importance, Henry the Second established a collegial constitution under the name of presidial courts. The name of bailiff was introduced into England with William the First. The counties were also called bailiwicks, ballivia, while the subdivisions were called hundreds. But as the courts of the hundreds have long since ceased, the English bailiffs are only a kind of subordinate officers of justice, like the French huissiers. These correspond very nearly to the officers called constables in the United States. Every sheriff has some of them under him, for whom he is answerable. In some cities the highest municipal officer yet bears his name as the High Bailiff of Westminster. In London, the Lord Mayor is at the same time bailiff, which title he bore before the present became usual and administrators in this quality the criminal jurisdiction of the city in the court of old bailey where there are annually eight sittings of the court for the city of london and the county of middlesex usually the recorder of london supplies his place as judge in some instances the term bailiff in england is applied to the chief magistrates of towns or to the commanders of particular castles 
as that of Dover. The term bailey in Scotland is applied to a judicial police officer having powers very similar to those of justices of peace in the United States. Encyclopedia Americana End footnote The foregoing interpretation of the chapter of Magna Carta now under discussion is corroborated by another chapter of Magna Carta, which specially provides the king's justices, shall go through every county to take the assizes, hold jury trials, in three kinds of civil actions, to wit, novel de season, mot d'enceau, and darren presentment, but makes no mention whatever of their holding jury trials in criminal cases, an omission wholly unlikely to be made, if it were designed they should attend the trial of such causes. Besides, the chapter here spoken of, in John's Charter, does not allow these justices to sit alone in jury trials, even in civil actions, but provides that four knights, chosen by the country, shall sit with him to keep them honest. When the king's justices were known to be so corrupt and servile that the people would not even trust them to sit alone in jury trials, in civil actions, how preposterous is it to suppose that they would not only suffer them to sit, but to sit alone in criminal ones. It is entirely incredible that Magna Carta, which makes such careful provision in regard to the king's justices sitting in civil actions, should make no provision whatever as to their sitting in criminal trials, if they were to be allowed to sit in them at all. Yet Magna Carta has no provision whatever on the subject. Note. Perhaps it may be said, and such it has already been seen, is the opinion of Coke and others, that the chapter of Magna Carta, that no bailiff from henceforth shall put any man to his open law, put him on trial, nor to an oath, that is, an oath of self-exculpation, upon his, the bailiff's, own accusation or testimony, without credible witnesses brought in to prove the charge, is itself a provision in regard to the king's justices sitting in criminal trials, and therefore implies that they are to sit in such trials. But although the word bailiff includes all judicial as well as other officers, and would therefore in this case apply to the king's justices, if they were to sit in criminal trials. Yet this particular chapter of Magna Carta evidently does not contemplate bailiffs, while acting in their judicial capacity, for they were not allowed to sit in criminal trials at all, but only in the character of witnesses, and that the meaning of the chapter is that the simple testimony simplici luquella, of no bailiff, of whatever kind, unsupported by other and credible witnesses, shall be sufficient to put any man on trial, or to his oath of self-exculpation. Note. At the common law, parties in both civil and criminal cases were allowed to swear in their own behalf and it will be so again if the true trial by jury should be re-established. End note within note. It will be noticed that the words of this chapter are not no bailiff of ours, that is, of the king, as in some other chapters of Magna Carta, but simply no bailiff, etc. 
The prohibition, therefore, applies to all bailiffs, to the ones chosen by the people, as well as those appointed by the king, and the prohibition is obviously founded upon the idea, a very sound one in that age certainly, and also probably in this, that public officers, whether appointed by the king or people, have generally, or at least frequently, too many interests and animosities against accused persons, to make it safe to convict any man on their testimony alone. The idea of Coke and others, that the object of this chapter was simply to forbid magistrates to put a man on trial, when there were no witnesses against him, but only the simple accusation or testimony of the magistrates themselves, before whom he was to be tried, is preposterous, for that would be equivalent to supposing that magistrates acted in the triple character of judge, jury, and witnesses, in the same trial, and that, therefore, in such cases, they needed to be prohibited from condemning a man on their own accusation or testimony alone. But such a provision would have been unnecessary and senseless, for two reasons. First, because the bailiffs or magistrates had no power to hold pleas of the crown, still less to try or condemn a man, that power resting wholly with the juries. Second, because if bailiffs or magistrates could try and condemn a man without a jury, the prohibition upon their doing so upon their own accusation or testimony alone would give no additional protection to the accused, so long as these same bailiffs or magistrates were allowed to decide what weight should be given, both to their own testimony and that of other witnesses. For, if they wished to convict, they would of course decide that any testimony, however frivolous or irrelevant, in addition to their own, was sufficient. Certainly a magistrate can always procure witnesses enough to testify to something or other which he himself could decide to be corroborative of his own testimony. And thus the prohibition would be defeated in fact, though observed in form. End footnote. But what would appear to make this matter absolutely certain is, that unless the prohibition that no bailiff, etc., of ours shall hold pleas of our crown, apply to all officers of the king, justices as well as others, it would be wholly nugatory for any practical or useful purpose, because the prohibition could be evaded by the king at any time, by simply changing the titles of his officers. Instead of calling them sheriffs, coroners, constables, and bailiffs, he could call them justices, or anything else he pleased, and this prohibition, so important to the liberty of the people, would then be entirely defeated. The king also could make and unmake justices at his pleasure, if he could appoint any officers whatever to preside over juries and criminal trials. He could appoint any tool that he might at any time find adapted to his purpose. It was as easy to make justices of Jeffreys and Scroggs as of any other material, and to have prohibited all the king's officers, except his justices, from presiding in criminal trials, would therefore have been mere fool's play. We can all perhaps form some idea, though few of us will be likely to form any adequate idea, of what a different thing the trial by jury would have been in practice, 
and of what would have been the difference in the liberties of England for five hundred years last past, had this prohibition of Magna Carta, upon the king's officers sitting in the trial of criminal cases, been observed. The principle of this chapter of Magna Carta, as applicable to the governments of the United States of America, forbids that any officer appointed either by the executive or legislative power, or dependent upon them for their salaries, or responsible to them by impeachment, should preside over a jury in criminal trials. To have the trial a legal, that is, a common law, and true trial by jury, the presiding officers must be chosen by the people, and be entirely free from all dependence upon, and all accountability to, the executive and legislative branches of the government. Note. In this chapter I have called the justices presiding officers, solely for the want of a better term. They are not presiding officers in the sense of having any authority over the jury, but are only assistants to, and teachers and servants of, the jury. The foreman of the jury is properly the presiding officer, so far as there is such an officer at all. The sheriff has no authority except over other persons than the jury. End footnote. End of chapter 7. Part 2.